Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. The flip side of all of this, it's moving towards nonprofits and volunteer programs being in a space where we are a resource center for the community's dreams. Welcome back to episode 12 of What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing the amazing Brianna Durellis. Brianna is the founder and chief cause consultant at Connecting the Cause, a consultancy dedicated to helping volunteers and those that lead them identify and uproot harmful volunteer practices, specifically towards black and brown communities. She is an advocate for voices of color being heard, recognized, and valued in the service and volunteerism sector, and believes in keeping the community centered in all aspects of the volunteer process. Today, we talk about the similarities and stark differences between volunteer practices and fundraising practices, what we can learn from our habits and behaviors around both, And we also ask some big questions during this conversation and even ask you to pause the episode and reflect at a few points if you're feeling particularly activated. Even though this wasn't our first conversation, we have some massive aha moments that will definitely blow your hair back. Our hope is that you leave this conversation thinking about your community and your volunteer opportunities in a fundamentally different way. You're gonna be sitting on the edge of your seat for this one, so let's get started. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Brianna Dorellis. I have been such a fan of your work for a long time at Connecting the Cause, and I'm just so excited for everyone to get to know you today and learn from you. So thank you for taking this time. Yes, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much. I know we like originally connected. There are some sparks. So I'm definitely glad yes. to, to be here today. <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel like, you know, you and I are sort of exploring some of the same fundamental questions around community building and relationship building and impact drivers in this sector. And I do it with the fundraising hat on and you're doing it with the volunteer hat on. And there's so many places that they're overlapping. So I'm excited for us to explore some of those concepts today. But let's start with just folks getting to know you a little bit better. What brings you to this work a little bit about who you are and yeah, what this moment in time is like for you? Yeah. So came to this work by way of experiencing service in my own life, seeing it from my mom and my dad who are serial connectors and servants for their communities and being raised and and seeing that. And then my mother just nurturing that need for me to be connected to community in my own life. 
And so I remember one of those instances, she just kept seeing over and over again that I kept gravitating towards National Geographic books, like in the line in the grocery stores. And she's like, what is this? (laughs) So uh, fast forward, putting me in Model United Nations and getting aunts and uncles to come together to fundraise and give me money to be able to go and travel and study abroad all the way to being able to have my own experiences there. And so I came into this work um, really wanting to make a difference, but then also realizing that oftentimes when we try to make a difference, we end up perpetuating a lot of harm in the process. And so that same trip that allowed me to go and my community raised me up and allowed me to be there, unfortunately, is the same thorn in my side where I caused a lot of harm. And so uh, I'm in the position now of that being something that catapulted me into the space of service. But now through connecting the cause and my work in the nonprofit sector, I now want to champion community-centered volunteerism instead of volunteer-centered and organizational-centered volunteerism. And so uh, that's a lot of the work that I do now and in consulting and connecting with individuals on, you know, identifying and uprooting those harmful practices and volunteerism and when it comes to organizational strategy as well. And so I'm a mama. I cling heavily to my faith. I'm a thrifter. (laughs) Love it. We have so much in common. Oh, yeah. A lot of things going on. (laughs) I love it. Do you want to just start off by, I don't know if you want to share more about your personal experience. I want to invite you to if you want to, but either on that level or more the macro level, what are some of the most common practices we see in volunteering that cause a lot of harm to the communities that they are quote unquote, intending to be in service to? Oh, such a good question. So we oftentimes talk about the nonprofit sector and its mission of doing good and giving back. And oftentimes what we don't talk about is that there were certain things that had to be taken away in order for something to be given back. And so when we think about that and we look at volunteerism, We use volunteerism as a mechanism to give back. But oftentimes we are stripping away what we are intending to give, that dignity, that respect, um, a helping hand. And so if you look at volunteerism right now in these spaces, when you think about volunteer articles, it's uh, top three reasons you should volunteer or top three ways of volunteering can be important to your health. And all of it is very self-centered, honestly. You're going to meet friends. You're going to get cool swag. Uh, it's going to help you with uh, new skills. And so what we've done over the years, even in academia, when we hear professors say, if you can volunteer for this organization, you'll pass this class if you give 30, if you give 30 hours, right? Or we do it in our corporate groups. This is our corporate social responsibility. So we're going to have a corporate day of service. And so in all these little places along our lives, we have commodified volunteerism 
so that we use it for our own interest and not for the interest of community. And so what ends up happening in that space? Number one, our volunteer and individual feelings of what makes us comfortable and happy come before actual community solutions and needs. And then at the end of the day, we have instances where even while we are volunteering, we have negative biases and stereotypes. And we have certain communities, uh, there are racism, right, that implodes in those spaces. And so as you're literally helping individuals, you're also having very negative undertones with how you think they are. You think they're a mistake (laughs) or you think... You know, I need I need to be uh, saving you from yourself or I need to be, you know, I mean, I am in this position uh, to be your hero. And so we literally try to uh, stop these systems from happening. Right. We think about the educational system and the disparities there. We think about the criminal punishment system and the disparities in that. But as we are trying to literally say, you know what, this is a food desert, I'm going to go drop off food. We have become our own uh, system of oppression because we go in and we have negative stereotypes about those that we serve. And we put on that pity and that power and that privilege. And then we also end up leaving them more codependent than more self-sufficient. And so uh, that's a lot of the ways in which we cause that harm. And it's all under that nice little umbrella of the white savior industrial complex. So that's a lot of where I see that happening. Wow. I mean, there's so much I want to sort of unpack (laughs) there with you. You know, there are pieces to this that I'm thinking about, you know, for organizations and we've seen this, right. Especially I think over the last 18, 20 months, sort of organizations starting to like have a reckoning with a lot of the different practices that are happening inside of their organization. And when you have folks come to you saying, okay, we know there's something fundamentally wrong with how we are implementing or executing our volunteer program, like where can they even start? Or maybe it is with a deeper look inside, because this is something I see with fundraising. A lot of the times too, folks will come to me asking about how to implement community centric fundraising practices, but the foundation of how their organization was set up is inherently in conflict with that. And there are some real underlying beliefs around why they should even exist as a nonprofit that are in direct conflict with that. And so a lot of what I've been exploring in myself and with organizations is what is the first step to starting to change and come to terms with and admit even to some of the things that are happening inside your organization? How do you start that process for folks? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think about it in these terms, you know, here in Atlanta, we have a population of individuals who don't have a permanent address. We have a huge population of those individuals. And when I'm talking to people in their first steps, I think about when it comes to those that you're partnering with, I use the word partnering with instead of, you know, I try to use not the word serve as much as possible, but just co-partnering with. If you see someone in that particular situation, what's your first thought? 
start there. Like, what is your first initial reaction when you are driving and someone is holding up a sign? Or what's your initial thought when you see a woman, a black woman who's walking with their child and they're, you know, and they're stopped at a bus stop and they're waiting on the bus? What are your initial reactions when a client comes into your organization and they are looking for resources and you're fiddling with your papers trying to do the next thing? What is your initial thought when looking and thinking about uh, those that you're partnering with? Is it anything from disgust? Is it a feeling of you're interrupting me? A feeling of this is prohibiting me from going and moving throughout my day? Is it, you know, I remember at the dinner table when I was eight years old, my grandma said, people who don't have a permanent address, homeless folks are lazy. And I carry that with me. What are those things that are in your heart? Because we have to understand at the end of the day with our mindsets, we create policies and procedures out of biases and out of morals and out of the things that we feel. And so a lot of the things that have been constructed in these organizations come from individuals who have these particular mindsets about those that they're partnering with. So first, it comes like, what are your initial reactions? You have to deal with the fact you think these people have some type of worthlessness. You have to individually deal with the fact that you pity them. You have to deal with the fact that you carry a lot lot of the identities that you carry, a lot of the things that you've heard, they're against who they really are. And so being able to first, I think, recognize that and say, if I'm thinking this way, then in what ways are my decisions being rooted and being transformed in these ways from what? you know, all of these thoughts and opinions that I have, how have I made decisions based off of those things? And we see that, you know, throughout all of the different aspects of volunteerism, through the different aspects of nonprofit work. And so that's where I ask people to start because if they don't start where the heart is, it's going to be a checklist and it's not going to be a journey of reflection and refinement. It's going to be a journey of, okay, I did this check. Okay, somebody tell me what to do, right? So I can just get whatever I need to get out of this and be done versus really doing the hard work. Yeah, wow. There are so many pieces of that for us to unpack, but I want to go back to something you said actually at the very beginning around the critical distinction between volunteers solving a problem versus you know, society causing a problem and us collectively in partnership committing to fixing that problem Mm -hmm. or the root cause of that problem, right? Like this really critical understanding that something has been taken away yeah, and that solutions and partnership need to be rooted in that history, in that acknowledgement, in that unlearning process 
And I think you and I haven't talked about this before, but so much of my coaching work is really rooted in what you're talking about, which is this cognitive behavior loop, this idea that every time we show up, every time we take an action, we're doing it because of a set of thoughts and beliefs that we Mm -hmm. hold. And everything that we feel, in fact, is also related to thoughts and beliefs that we hold. So even when you said disgust, or even if people feel anxiety because they feel interrupted and they have so many other things to do, that anxiety is connected to a belief that you're holding about that person who interrupted you. And I think the way you're pushing people to unravel that is so critical because the action is problematic in the sense of the harm that it's causing, but the intention just changing the action is just the performative part of it, right? Absolutely. And that's going to mean that we go on to the next thing and we create another harmful practice. And it's not going to be until we can unwind further that we can make change that is fundamentally rooted in that partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, that empathy piece, right? And that connectedness part the institution of volunteerism has allowed people to be able to easily connect and disconnect to hard stuff. And so into injustice, it's easy to go in. I pack these 15 boxes. I now feel great about myself. I got the t-shirt. I got the high five. Let's go out for drinks later. And then I can sleep it off. And I don't even remember, you know, what happened the next day, right? All I know is I feel this high, but did you get a change of heart? Was there a transformation of understanding that now you can carry with you that you can infuse into your lifestyle because now you know what it means to, you know, experience this piece that you've never experienced before. I always say to nonprofit organizations, if your volunteers cannot go back to the kitchen table, cannot go back to their workplaces, cannot go back to their family reunions or their their bar friends. And when something comes up about a particular group of people and they're able to say, wait a second, that's actually not accurate. The real issue is this. And they were able to do that because they were able to unlearn by being able to interact with the training and orientation of your organization. You're not doing it right. And I will stand on that forever. We have too many opportunities as nonprofit organizations to talk to people in ways that no one else can. Right now in the world, there are millions of people who are in a training or orientation or um, a volunteer opportunity. They are waiting right there for the work to get started. What are you doing in that moment where you have these hundreds of thousands of people's attention? Are you being able to actually tell the truth and say, listen, these black and brown communities are hurting because of these systems, not because they're mistakes, not because these wayward choices that they made. But we have to understand the ground root of these issues. And why are you here? Are you here to be happy? Are you here to co-liberate? And mm. and what a change, right? They can have in their mindset and say, listen, I don't want you to go back and say, you know, this thing about this community and this thing about this community. I want you to go back and tell the truth. And then here is the truth. 
and for to be able to communicate those truths and say, now you're an advocate, you go out and you spread the truth about those that you're connected with now and you advocate for them. And then what a difference it would make. We are squandering an opportunity mm. to be able to change lives within the volunteers and of course the the communities that we serve. I got on the soapbox. No, I am here <laughs> for it and was also feeling oh god, I mean I think every day I ask myself a fundamental question around whether capitalism can exist and not cause the harm it causes today. Because I think about what you're saying and I'm imagining these corporate volunteer days or weeks or whatever. And I'm like, but what happens when everyone starts to tell the truth? What happens, right? Like, does it fundamentally break capitalism? And so then will these companies and these people who are really benefiting from capitalism and not to say that I am not one of them continue to push past that discomfort for co-liberation. And I think, I mean, and please tell me if I'm even yeah. out of line in asking this question, but I, I can imagine that what happens then is that such a heavier burden is put on black and brown leaders, particularly to be the only ones that are telling the truth in those situations. And then it continues actually to perpetuate the exact same power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's real. And I think that is why so much we need these spaces as a Brianna, as a Mallory, to be able to call people higher and say, no, it is not the responsibility, you know, at the end of the day to put this on black and brown communities while also realizing that we are where the solution is going to come from. At the end of the day, I want to be the one to communicate my truth out of my mouth. And I want you to be able to take that truth and communicate it out to your folks as well. I'm not saying that I want to be responsible for your people. I want to know that you are co-dreaming with me. It's about co-dreaming, co-liberation. And so it's a recognition that I'm not the only one that is suffering from white supremacy. You are suffering from that as well. And you're perpetuating it by not being able to tell the truth. And that is the thing about community-centric volunteerism and keeping community at the center of service is the fact that the decision-making, the uh, solutions the way in which I'm talking about volunteers, the way we should do orientations and trainings, I want to be able to put that in the hands of my community to be able to drive that and get paid for it. Okay. It's one thing if we're just, if we're just asking, if nonprofits are asking, can you come in and talk to this group? Can you come in and help this, you know, white folks get it together? And it's another thing about, yeah, I can do that because I do want my truth to be heard. And I also want to be compensated and paid for my knowledge, my skills, my gifts and my experiences like you would do anybody else who was actually in that position. And that's um, something that I want to see more of. I am such an advocate for black and brown voices 
in every part of the nonprofit process, not just the ones who are given to all the time. I want to see them and us in CEO positions. I want succession planning to literally be, I want a black or brown person to take over my spot when I leave. Who's in the talent pool that I can go ahead and start cultivating so that that can actually happen and take place. I want community leaders to come in and be the trainers and the orienters of my volunteers. And I want to be able to pay them as a, as a contractor on staff or whatever the case may be for their work. There's a real integration there that I feel like really needs to happen so that when we think about capitalism, and when we think about doing it in a way that's harmful, capitalism in a harmful way is not paying people for what they're worth. I want to play pay black and brown people for what they're worth. So you need to pay me and you need to see that my talent and my skill is worthy enough and I can be plugged into all aspects of this process. And that's where the solutions are. First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. I could not agree more with what you said. And I want to go back to something you said sort of at the beginning of that and really challenge people who are listening to this to reflect on this. If when you said the piece around the community members coming in and leading the volunteer program, if folks had a reaction to that around doubt or capability or anything like that, there's your first belief to start checking, right? There it is. Yep. So I just want people to really like, if you need to pause this podcast and go there, you need to go there right now because that is at the core, I think, of this question. And it's certainly something I've heard and watched in action. So I hope we're challenging people today to start looking at that now. Yeah, absolutely. And there right now, I'm going through um, just the characteristics of white supremacy as it relates to volunteerism. And one of the characteristics of uh, white supremacy is the sense of urgency, right? This sense that we have to hurry up and recruit, or we have to hurry up and put butts in seats, or we have to hurry up and make decisions for the community or they're going to die. Like we have to hurry up and do these things instead of what the communities are really looking for, communities like mine are really looking for, and of course, we're not a monolith, but in my experiences, there has to be baked in time and relationship building and trust and understanding. And all we want to do is just be very transactional and how many people can we come and show up for this thing versus who's already doing this in the community And how can we build relationship with them to get to understand what they want? And we just provide the hands for their dream. The flip side of all of this, it's moving towards nonprofits and volunteer programs being in a space where we are a resource center 
for the community's dreams. And all we do is we create programs and strategies and we have hands to build up and prop up whatever they want to do. I look at nonprofit organizations and if the community is not looking at your organization, like a com- this is a community organization versus, oh, this is some nonprofit over there. You haven't done the integration and the relationship building necessary for the community to recognize you as a part of their ecosystem of care. And that is, and I think that's a big issue as well. And you know what's so interesting about what you're talking about right now is some of what you were describing in terms of what you want to see and the relationship building process and the questions and the nurturing. That is how nonprofits are talking about taking care of their top donors. They have those skills. They have plenty of skills. Talk about it, not, <laughs> right? They have plenty of skills to not be too urgent. So actually the reflection here of these two things up against each other is kind of nauseating for me to be thinking about <laughs> wow, right now, yeah. right? It's like everything you just said you wanted to see. I'm like, that's a major gifts program. I mean, right? Wow. That's, no, that's, and which brings us to the hard truth that they don't care. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, that brings us to a hard truth of seeing community as something that can be skirted on, that can be, that uh, corners can be cut. Um, we'll, we'll give them what we can. And in this space, like you, I think we've talked about this before, a lot of volunteer managers have this heaviness around they around uh, C-suite only wanting to come in and think about volunteerism in a way that, okay, who can potentially be the next donor out mm-hmm. of this group of people? Is there anybody in here that's connected? Is there anybody mm-hmm. in here that's in corporate? Is there anybody here in here with old money? You know, that we can then cultivate through the volunteer program and be able to cultivate them to be a top donor. And so oftentimes, you know, other individuals in the organization, unfortunately, look at volunteerism as just a mosh pit for potential donors and for board members to come in and have a little transactional volunteer moment so they still feel connected to the community on like a board day or like a board day of service. And so it's sad to hear and to see, you know, that absolutely, you know, these characteristics of cultivation are there. You're just deciding to put it in a place where capitalism reigns and not in a place where your mission is actually supposed to be helping those that you are partnering with. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you and I have talked a lot about before, like what is the right and appropriate way for volunteering inside an organization to be separated from development, really in order to ensure that decisions aren't being made in that way. Or, you know, if you really are 
committed to community-centric volunteerism, then it's likely not overseen by your development office. And there is likely a real strong conflict of interest line there. And that's a decision that your organization needs to look really hard at, depending on the type of organization that you are, the work that you're doing, and the way, right? Like there are some organizations that have different dynamics in terms of what they're able to provide for volunteer opportunities that don't do harm to the communities that aren't rooted in local community, right, in the same way. And so just to say that there is that diversity amongst organizations, and I'm an advocate just to call myself out here with certain types of organizations, I do believe volunteer opportunities should be a benefit of sponsorship, right? Not in the situations you and I are talking about. Yeah. But if they're an organization that, like I work with a lot of healthcare-related organizations where the recipients of care benefit from certain materials assembled or they benefit from certain cards being made or things like that, things that are in service of the community being served by the organization, where I think there is a way to build in volunteer opportunities. Not that it's transactional. For me, the reason why I want to include it in a sponsorship level is because I'm also also really tired of companies coming to nonprofits asking for volunteer opportunities constantly and not thinking that organization deserves to be paid for their time and that all yeah. the people who set up that volunteer day deserve to be paid for that time and it's like you know what it took to put that together and you need to see the benefit you need, let's talk about the benefit to your company let's not pretend here that you're doing us some favor this right. is a mutually beneficial partnership. And in order to put it on, yes, this serves our organization in this way. And it's also really serving your company in this way. So here's the way to make it actually feel like partnership. And part of that is you supporting our organization so that we can do all the work around it. And we're going to charge real well for it. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. No, I, I think that it's so important for nonprofits and for organizations to be able to tell the truth. I'm such a big proponent of just telling the truth in all aspects. Mm -hmm. Tell the truth to your volunteers and training. Tell the truth to the community when you've actually gotten rid of a volunteer opportunity because it was harmful. Mm -hmm. Tell them why I got rid of it and how and be remorseful about it and apologize about it. Tell the truth to corporate groups and corporate groups want to come in and say, hey, we have this day of service with this many people coming. We want this many headshots and we want to come in with these types of things and be able to say, you know what? That's amazing. Thank you so much. Let me, you know, communicate with you how that can fit into our overall mission. Mm -hmm. But let me also communicate the things that may not fit in our mission that I want to, you know, let you know up front to see if this is something you still want to do. I think when I was doing a training with the corporate group one day, and I think it's a both and. I was asking this corporate group, I want you to go and ask the organization what is it that you need from us in order to effectively serve number one? And number two, how can we help you make it happen? Like that was like those two questions. And then from the nonprofit standpoint, these are the list of things that our, our communities are in you know, need of right now. And these are the areas that you can meet those needs. So both of them coming in strong from the corporate side of we have all these resources 
we have an open heart. Tell us what it is. And then from a nonprofit standpoint, being strong and firm, and this is what we're looking for so that that marriage can take place. And I think that it's high time for us to stop coddling people for their money. Because somebody asked me the other day, how, because I was talking about metrics. And I was talking about, we love doing these like really superficial metrics. And, but they were like, but how, how do we communicate these metrics when that's what the grants are asking for, when that's what the sponsors are asking for, while also, you know, telling them that it needs to be different metrics. And I'm like, y'all, what's happening with in my world of oppression and volunteerism and community centric volunteerism is that we are flying a plane and trying to rebuild it in the sky, like as we speak. And for the life of me, I want the world to pause and just blow up the plane and we start over from scratch. And but that's not our reality right now. So what does that mean? It means instead of communicating all the time, we need this from the community and we need this for the community. We need this many backpacks, being able to change the way we talk about communities in a assessing and a dignifying way and being able to say these communities have these particular gifts, talent, skills. And if we partner with them, then the outcome will be A, B and C. Instead of this just deficit based, what they're trying to hear and all money ain't good money. And that's just it. And at the end of the day, I would rather, I would rather start off with five, I'm going back to volunteerism with five good, solid, impactful opportunities that are solution based that communities have communicated. Yes, this is what we want. Who've given us feedback on it, who've built relationship around, then 15, 20 different areas for people to plug in because we're in a scarcity mindset and we want people to just have butts and seats and there's no impact being made. Dwindle that list down, do a good three, make sure it's good to go and build from there. And that's that, you know, that sense of urgency that's coming out, that sense of like, oh, paternalism, I got it. We have to have all these different options. But no, just scale it back and know that the mission, we're taking community out of community work. Like that's what we just keep doing over and over again. And so we've got to stop. Mm everything, just like everything you said. And I, one of the things I also just want to say around that grant funder piece is, look, one of the roles, if you're an organization that you're really committed to community-centric fundraising principles, community-centric volunteerism, then it's time to have some hard conversations with your funders too. And I don't mean that you're going to your funders and you're blowing it up. I think there are actually plenty of ways. There are tons of big funder institutions that are making grandiose statements about their commitment to anti-racist work and all this stuff. So now's the time for those organizations, those foundations that you are a strong partner of, that you've been getting multi-year funding from, that you're getting to sit down with your grant officers and say, hey, we're learning over here about X, Y, and Z. 
And one of the things we recently learned about is that the metrics we've been reporting on around blank are actually causing harm to our community in this way. Can we talk about that with you? Can we explore that with you? We know you have to answer to a board of trustees. We know we're flying, we're in the plane, in the air, right? But let's talk about what you need as the grantor and how we can find something so that we are giving you information that you need to report back to your trustees, but that also, like, let's just figure this out together because we've heard you say over and over how much you care about this. So let us be your partner in figuring this part out too. And I've heard so often recently, people tell me that they have strong relationships with their funders, but then when I push them around having this conversation, they're like, oh no. And I'm like, so tell me how you define strength Mm. in relationship then. What is the definition of strength in a funder relationship? And that needs to really be looked at. Because if you can't walk into this conversation around co-creation to achieve a goal you've both set, which is to make your practices more anti-racist and more community-centric, if you can't open that conversation, is it a strong relationship? Like, I would say no. So good. Right? Like, I don't have strong relationships in my personal life where I can't talk to them about a problem I'm having. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you're talking about this because this is in the same way we think about building strong community relationships because that is such a foundation, right, for effective community building. And I wish I'm going to do it one day which is a new word for like volunteer because I feel like it's gotten so inundated with with just a lot of heaviness around it. But I think at this point in time, organizations have gotten so bit on, yeah, we have this great relationship with this community leader. Okay, so what are their top three goals for their community? How are you partnering You know, with those goals? What is it like for your volunteers to be the hands when they have a community event, can you can you call on your community partners to be able to help them with that? Can you use your resources and your Rolodex of people to be able to respond to their call? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And I'll never forget, I was working at an organization and we had a tutoring program and it was caught wind that a woman in the community also had like a similar type of program that she was like running out of a local church. And the first reaction to hearing that was, what is she doing? Like, what what's going on? Like, can somebody go over there and see like how she's running it? Uh, we've asked her multiple times to come and, you know, volunteer for us, but she hasn't like volunteered yet. Just wanting to, I mean, it looks like we are serving the same demographic. And so I don't want there to be conflict of interest. Like all this stuff like came up. And my first reaction was, why does it matter? Like, why does it matter that she's doing this? And they call it like on the side as if, <laughs> as if this is not her own community and she's meeting a need in her own community. And we look so much at community sometimes as like a conflict, right? Or as like we're in competition with them. Oh, this community group is getting all of these little black and brown kids to come to their water day, but we can't get anybody to come to ours. Like this very like weird dynamic that I've seen in the past just around autonomy of choice 
that I can care for my community any way I see fit. And no, it doesn't have to look like a 501c3. It doesn't look like I have to like a formal volunteer program. Yeah. 70% of people around the world are not connected to a formal volunteering program who are actually volunteering. That means they are going out on their own without someone telling them to and are making local and neighboring and belonging connections, community connections, and they're handling each other with care. And it's not coming from this sense of, I have this organization that's, that I'm filtering through to tell me. It's a very uh, westernized thing to have to go through an organization to figure out how to give back. So I'm wanting to, even through the use of nonprofit organizations, break down those barriers of red tape that the nonprofit sector has set up of how you're supposed to volunteer, the way that you're supposed to do it, because all of those best practices that are happening are barriers for black and brown communities, right? Best practices are best for people who don't look like us, like people who do not look like people where I come from. So at the end of the day, it is creating these silos of saviors, Right. Instead of just this disbursement of just this ecosystem of care. And so having to break down those barriers and say it don't take all that. And all of these policies and procedures are how can we keep the volunteers safe from the communities? Like, how can we keep how can we make sure that we're not liable for this particular thing or that particular thing? When at the end of the day, this is hard stuff. This is justice work. And you have to have a right heart posture to really become that co-dreamer. And I've said this before, being that co-dreamer does not mean I know you by your needs. Being a co-dreamer means I know you by your goals. I know you by your strengths. I know you by the things that you want to do. And I know you by, you don't even have to be excellent at anything. It's just you being you that makes you so spectacular. And I want to partner in whatever makes you, you and do that and have you do that well. And Mm. so that's what that has to look like as we break down these nonprofit walls. Uh, And it is all, everything you just said about crow dreaming is what you're doing with your donors. There is some stuff to really look at here. And I just really want to encourage people because I think there's so much that you said and so many opportunities for people to look at themselves first, as you said, and then at their organizations and not all money is created equal. And if you are in a position in your organization where you believe that the money you are taking is causing harm to the community that your mission is intended to partner with. You got to look at that and you have to make some real decisions. And there are a lot of decisions. In my opinion, it's not just take the money, no money. This is where I really think the nonprofit sector can be advocates to foundations. Like I really do believe in especially these big nonprofits, they need to be advocating for this sector-wide change around a lot of these different things. I had a great conversation um, with a program officer at a foundation recently around the way that grant making falls into the same desperation cycle of 
as poverty. And so what does that mean in terms of scarcity mindset? Like that whole piece around when we don't know where we're getting our next meal or when we don't know when we're getting our next funding, what that actually does to break down individuals, communities, organizations in that scarcity mindset, let alone the triggering and the trauma that it causes. And so I think there are some really big things for us all to be looking at that are so deeply interconnected. But I just want to go back to what you said before inviting you to share all the ways that folks can connect with you is like the tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. Like I love that as the as the core foundational piece to all this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like, like you said earlier, it's really interesting that the conversation has gotten to this point of really understanding these discrepancies, like in between the two. And I think as a takeaway reflection of what this looks like, if you're able, these organizations and fundraisers are able to cultivate and build relationships and cater to and listen to and co-create on this side of the donor, but it's not happening on the side of communities. Like that middle piece as to the why is like the crux of like all of this. That is the crux of connecting the cause. Like why is it not happening? That's where I would love for people to think through and explore on a personal level, but also professional level, because the very thing that we're getting the money, the very thing you're even raising the money for, you're not cultivating on the back end. So what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the cultivation, you know, on that front end, if you're not even getting the right solution? So in, so in all actuality, the money that you're getting is coming into a solution that's just not based in truth, that's not based in community, and that's not based in the mission. So where is the money going? If the money's not going there, where is it going? Yeah. Let's leave folks with that question. <laughs> and um, I just, I want to make sure folks can find you, tell tell them all the things, how can they work with you? And then I invite everyone at the end to share a nonprofit that's really near and dear to their heart. But I know as someone who works with many nonprofits, if you don't want to do that, if there's anything you want to inspire folks to do in terms of how they look to like give in their local community, what to look for in organizations, you can be more general too. Yeah, yeah, of course. So definitely my work is at www.connectingthecause.com. I do a lot of my stuff, honestly, on Instagram. So it's at Connecting the Cause and you can um, reach me at Brianna, my name Brianna, at Connecting the Cause. I also have a membership uh, community called The Renewed where we are in there and are consistently uprooting and identifying ways that we've been oppressive in the volunteer system and ways to change the future of volunteerism. So that's what we're doing in there. And my, I think I would say as a leaving thought of people being able to connect to organizations, I think that it is so important to be able to connect with on the ground, grassroots, black and brown led organizations that are actually doing the work. And if you do not know a black or brown led organization doing the work, then 
I implore you to find one because they're out there and they are present and they are active. And that goes into a more, I think, more work around what it looks like to build up your relationships and your connections to help with unlearning, to help with a deeper ecosystem of care. I do not want to be the individual that's like, here are five people that you can, you know, go and and find um, in your in your place. I want you to find them because they're there. So I would say investing in uh, leaders who are so close to the solutions that they can touch them, that they are living them. That's my reach out to everybody. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for this conversation and for all of the work that you're doing. Yeah, no, this was great. I feel like there needs to be like a part two and yes. three. <laughs> <laughs> I know we should just do a series. Scratch yeah. the surface. Um, I know. This, but no, um, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your work in the fundraising space. We need people in the HR space and fundraising and like all these different areas to be able to change the tide. So thank you for your work too. Okay, friends, I know there was a lot in this episode, and we also just scratched the surface here on so many things. So first of all, if you really do want to hear another episode of us talking about this topic and have some burning questions, head on over to Instagram, what the fundraising underscore, and send me a DM. Let me know what you're thinking. There is obviously a lot of interest from both Brianna and I to keep this discussion going. So let us know what you want that to focus on. And for folks who might be having all types of feelings around the topics we discussed, the number one thing we want to encourage you is to take a moment and reflect, maybe even write what has come up for you in listening to this conversation. And then I'd also like for you to identify one next step. Maybe it's a conversation you can have with your team, or perhaps it's signing up for Brianna's membership. We don't want this conversation to stop here. You should also make sure to head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast, where you'll find all the detailed show notes as well as links to Brianna's work. Most importantly, thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you, and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day, and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to malloryerickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.